0: everyone and thank you very much for joining us in today's conversation. You're joined here um, I'm Sue Stevens and this is ConnectalCon and today's conversation is going to focus on the second episode of the next stage of leadership. Before we get into it ConnectalCon is a community for like-minded individuals from all over the world that join in conversations and help create what the future of work might look like, and topics that have been discussed previously touch upon what leadership is, what that might look in the future, and today we're going to look at that very specific topic of what might the next stage of leadership look like. So, I'm Sue Stevens. I'm joining you today from Dublin in Ireland, not Dublin in, in Ohio, USA, um, from LinkedIn's Europe, Middle East and Africa headquarters. And I'm joined today by our wonder, wonderful panel members from all over the world who are allowed to introduce themselves one by one. And we'll start with Amy Schulz dialing in from Sydney, Australia.
1: Um, Hi everyone. Uh, As you said, my name is Amy Schultz. I work for LinkedIn. I'm a talent acquisition director in APAC. I'm normally based in in Singapore and I'm home in Australia this week, which is super fun. And uh, I'm actually soon to be relocating to San Francisco uh, for a new role with LinkedIn. And um, I'm excited about that, but really looking forward to the discussion today and thanks everyone for dialing in.
0: Thank you, Amy. We'll move next to Moira,
2: right next to Amy. Hi Sue, so yes, I'm Moira Mackey. I'm a, a coach, so I work with individual leaders and um, also teams and I've worked with large scale organizations and small. So I've had to sort of uh, locked, in a, uh, locked in a room with, with leaders so get to understand what they're really thinking about and what they're really wrestling with. So I'm really pleased to be talking to you today.
0: Thank you, Moira. We'll move next to Manish. Thank you, Manish. Thanks for joining.
3: Thanks. Thanks, Sue. Hi, everyone. My name is Manish Pahil. I'm based in New Delhi, India, and uh, I head uh, the Center for the Future of Work with Cognizant. So, we are basically a think tank for the organization, and our charter is to figure out how the future of work works. So my role is to look beyond 18 months and into a longer timeframe and figure out, you know, what digital means for Cognizant and its customers in the Asia-Pacific region, and how the future of work will be reimagined, reconfigured, and restructured in the years to come. So it's my pleasure to be part of, uh, you know, today's session.
0: Thank you, Manish, um, for joining us. And then last, but definitely not least, Jenny joining us from the UK.
4: Morning, everybody. Um, I'm based just outside of London. My company is called Reactivate the Future, and we work with leaders and organizations to try to help them activate a future-fit culture and design. So we're helping leaders who are struggling with the challenges of how to release more creativity and more innovation in their organizations so that they can create sustainable businesses for the future. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I think it's going to be a very interesting one.
0: Thank you to all panel members. I'm really looking forward to having this conversation. I think an hour is just scratching the surface of the topic to, to set that expectation. But I think you're all in um, for a wonderful conversation. Also those who will be listening to the podca- podcast afterwards. So firstly what I'd like to do is open up the conversation and ask for um, to each of the panel members, what is your link to this particular subject and what have you learned or discovered in the past 12 months when it uh, when it comes to the subject of the future of leaders. Um, we'll we'll go in the reverse order. We'll start with Jenny first.
4: Um, well, I, I think one of the things that I noticed a great deal with the organizations that I work with is um, how the role of leadership is changing from a command and control center to much more of a, a facilitation and a way of holding the space and being the center of energy for the vision for the organization. And that's a very difficult transition for many organizations that have operated with um, hierarchical structures for some time. And I, I think that's one of the biggest challenges that um, leaders are facing is how do they make that transition from um Giving instruction, showing how uh, things should be done, being right, being expert, being something that's a lot more like vulnerable, visionary leaders. That, that's the one of the key challenges that I see. And the second one is understanding how to use that different form of leadership to relate, release the key qualities in others so that they can express their leadership. That 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 people are and organisations are looking for today, and those are th- things like creative thinking, systems thinking, empathetic communications, um, self discipline and management, and and being really courageous actors in a very uncertain future. But those are the things that that I see as the big picture issues coming through.
0: Thanks very much, uh, Jenny. If we move on to Manesh, really, really curious to hear your thoughts. You work in, in the, the, the discipline of the future of
3: work. What
0: are the sorts of things that you would touch upon that particularly uh, struck you in the past 12 months or so?
3: Yeah, sure. So if you look at, you know, the world of work is changing very, very fast. We are now in the middle of a major you know, economic shift. Digital is finally moving from toys to tools, what we call. And what we have experienced so far is digital. That's uh, you know, fun connecting with friends on Facebook, buying something online or hailing a cab with Uber. These are wonderful technologies, no doubt about it, but they are mostly systems of convenience. They haven't changed the way how we bank, how we stay healthy, how we buy insurance. So applying new technologies and new business models to the work that matters is going to be a significant opportunity of the next decade. So in this new competitive landscape, if you look at, you know, a new machine for work is emerging, powered by data, algorithms, you know, automation and artificial intelligence. In fact, uh, you know, 70% of executives that we recently spoke to, they agreed that their industry will change more in the next five years than it did in the previous 50. So you can very well imagine you know, the pace of change that is coming along our way. So now is the time to ask you know, what it takes to lead an established company through this shift. So the role of the leader has never been this complex, you know, difficult and uncertain. So given these shifts, you know, changes in leadership approaches are mandatory. So leadership behaviors, you know, forged over the last century, uh, you know, clearly need updating for the digital age because the dynamics of the 20th century organization, you know, command and control structures, something that Janie also talked about. So prolonged, you know, decision cycles and silo based, uh, you know, mentalities will kill the speed and agility organizations, you know, now need. So we believe that obviously, you know, the role of a leader is going to get transformed significantly in this new machine age, which is going to be very much focused on coaching, caring and, uh, you know, connecting. In fact, uh, recently we you know, published a new report, what we call 21 jobs of the future. So through this report we propose you know, 21 new jobs that will emerge over the next 10 years and will become cornerstone of the future of work. So I'll be happy to share more thoughts on you know, what do we mean by caring, coaching and connecting you know, when it comes to a leadership, when it comes to management style uh, you know, and then the future.
1: Thank
0: you very much, Manish. I really like that last bit and would definitely want to touch upon it a bit more caring, coaching sure. and connecting. Moira, moving on to you
2: next. Oh, I like that. Those three are really nice, aren't they? Um, yes, I, I know it's speeding up. I know change is speeding up. Um, I'm about the same age as a lot of the leaders that I coach and the world has changed a lot work since I started. So when I started, there was a typing pool In fact that was one of the first things i did when i graduated we had this huge typing pool we had a huge mail room full of guys and they were all guys sorting the mail and when i took the um a year out and i traveled in through africa no one knew where i was and we had the lonely planet guidebook and in order to get on a plane and make the wait we had to tear the pages out of the um book the places we'd already been so And managers didn't touch a keyboard. There wasn't even a keyboard, uh, a computer in the office for the manager that I worked when I was a temporary secretary. So in the lifetime of the leaders that I work with, it's already changed a lot. And of course, we're now looking forward. So I'm working with them. And then I'm also working with new grads um, who are the same age as my eldest son. And they can't imagine going to Africa with just a book in their hand. Um, and so it's, it's changing, but I'm driven by the fundamental belief having been close up with these leaders in rooms is that it's an inside thing. It's about who they are and how they show up. And no one's ever taught them that. They have sometimes, if they're lucky, got leadership training or management training, but some of them have never even had that. And it's all about pushing stuff into them. And actually, my belief is pulling it out of them. Who are they? Um, And therefore it is, it's about quality connection. It's about that ability to make that contact with people. Because for me, leadership is this unspoken contract that gets invisibly signed every day or Broken every day. It's this invisible contract. It's a mutual agreement between the leader and the person, people that are being led. Absolutely
0: love that, uh, Moira. An invisible contract that's being signed every day, or if you like, uh, not adhered to. Thank you very mm-hmm. much. And then um, last but not least, Amy.
1: Um, I've loved listening to, to everyone's um, comments and Interesting, you know more um, contract. I think uh, at LinkedIn we talk a lot about the alliance. So you know, there's no more um, lifetime employment as we know, and that I think you know the best that we can kind of hope for is that our employees form an alliance with our organization, and that they take that alliance with them when when they leave. And and in order to do that, you definitely need that that connection. You know, at LinkedIn we have we have 60 percent millennials and so when we're thinking about leadership you have millennials managing millennials millennials managing gen x or baby boomer or baby boomer gen x managing millennials so it's, it's really interesting and i think a lot of the time now from an assessment point of view if i put my talent um acquisition hat on know, so we are very much looking more at those soft skills and i think millennials as we know are very uh driven by purpose their sense of purpose and they want to work at organizations that have a strong sense of purpose and therefore for leaders to really open themselves up touching on a couple of points that have already been made the vulnerability the connection and i think how we lead through change and how we create organizations that still feel inclusive even if they're remote And Mm. and that there is a strong sense of belonging, that people feel as though they belong, whether they actually work in an office or they work remotely. And I think for us to have that, we really need to have diverse workforces. And at LinkedIn, probably the biggest shift that I've seen over the past 12 months is the conversations that we are having around diversity, inclusion and belonging. And that leaders need to understand what that looks like and feels like for them. Um, in order for them to have um, and create opportunities for conversations um, with with their employees and, and with their teams. So that's probably the biggest shift. And I think a lot of that then leads itself into the softer skills that we need to continue to develop in our leaders in order for us to have um, diverse workplaces with diverse thoughts and, and backgrounds.
0: Thanks, Amy. Um, Just that introduction has already touched upon so many really, really interesting subjects that I would like to delve into much deeper. Um, Amy, a very nice segue when it comes to millennials. As I was preparing myself over the last couple of days for this conversation, I had to go back to the internet and to Google whether I was really a Gen Y leader. And the reality is, it is true. So I guess I am part of it too. So 75% of the global workforce is going to our millennials by the time we get to 2025. And a lot of organizations have already reached that tipping point. Now we know of millennials, and I think arguably of other generations as well, that autonomy, flexibility, and purpose are items that are very much valued. So when we think about these things and we think of the past when it comes to leadership, previously managers were very much trained to give very clear direction. My question to the panel is, what are your thoughts on what leadership development looks like for the leader of the future when clear directions are perhaps a thing of the past?
1: I'm, I'm happy just to, uh, to to jump in to, to begin with, and Vanessa I loved your caring community um, and, and coaching that you mentioned before and LinkedIn we you know our our studies have showed that millennials are driven by purpose, perks, and progression. So it's you know, three Ps and and three C's. And because of that, when we think about that leadership of, of the future, the the progression that millennials want and the speed in which they want it definitely requires a more frequent um, high touch um, form of, of of leadership you know gone i think as we all know are those you know once a year performance reviews that we've always done whereas millennials are driving the need for much frequent real-time conversations and they want to talk about their personal life as much as they often do their professional life because we as we know there's that that work-life integration and conversations that i've had you know with a number of like peers and other leaders they are sometimes a bit uncomfortable in having those personal conversations. Um, but that's, you know, I think that comes with now managing the whole person. You know, at LinkedIn, we talk about being your authentic self and being able to bring your whole self to work each day. And I think millennials definitely want to do that. And that means that we as leaders need to, to think about the whole self. So we need to understand what's perhaps going on in, in their personal life to be able to understand how that might impact um, them their professionally and to encourage them to speak up and to be vulnerable and perhaps share stuff that's happening outside that might be impacting them at, at work. And I think that requires a, a level of vulnerability and trust that can take a, a while to, to build up. Um, but they're sort of the types of conversations that we're having um, certainly at LinkedIn at the moment. Um, in order to, again, to create that inclusive work environment, it does uh, require people to feel like they can be themselves um, and also feel uh, free to, to speak up.
3: Yeah, sure, and maybe I can jump in, you know. I really like, uh, you know, the, the trust aspect, uh, Amy, that you touched about, right? So that's going to be very, very critical, especially in the age of artificial intelligence and automation. I think the trust factor between humans and machines, between humans and humans, and between an employee and an employer is going to play a very important uh, you know, role in the future. And that's where leaders need to step up and sort of uh, you know, provide uh, you know, that uh, coaching, caring and connecting that I was referring to. So just to give you, you know, a little bit more background on what do we mean by coaching, caring and connecting. But first thing, you know, for this report, when we published you know, 21 jobs of the future. So while producing this report, we imagine hundreds of jobs that could emerge within the, you know, the major macroeconomic, political, demographic, social, cultural, uh, business, and technology trends, uh, you know, that we can observe today. So so we looked at all these things, and that's how we came up with these, uh, you know, 21 jobs. So each job that we have highlighted in the report has a job description and involves one of the three themes, coaching, caring, and connecting. So coaching is uh, you know are you a good coach or not do you help people improve at things you know managing their finances for instance you know managing their uh, you know work life balance so we still need humans to create new products promote sales and provide a human element to you know jobs so as a coach you can reshape the work by making it engaging uh, more uh, you know human and uh, you know purposeful that is going to be the critical aspect of uh, you know the the future of uh, you know leadership when we talk about uh, you know coaching because one of the jobs, for instance, that we have highlighted in the report is man machine teaming manager. So so we are talking about the augmented you know the hybrid workforce right that is going to shape in the future, which means that we need to work alongside with intelligent machines based on artificial intelligence, automation, big data. So that's where the demand machine teaming manager is going to be important. Uh, you know, this role is going to be important because we need someone who can help combine the strengths of ro- robots, you know, the AI software, accuracy, computation, speed, with the strengths of humans, which means cognition, you know, Judgment, empathy, you know, all these skills are going to be very very important in the future. So someone who can combine, you know, the strengths of robots with the strengths of humans in a joint environment for common business goals. So that is going to be very much, uh, you know, related to the coaching, uh, you know, aspect. And then connecting, you know, are you good at building connections and synergies, identifying patterns and building rules? And uh, can you help people, you know, work in tandem with machines. So new jobs like, you know, as I said, man-machine collaboration, you know, it's it's going to be critical. And that's how we are going to, you know, connect with more people, connect with, uh, you know, people within and outside our organizations. And last but not the least is about the caring, you know, are you good at sense making? Are you able to determine, you know, deeper meanings and social intelligence? And can you help uh, improve, you know, people's health and wellness, you know, the work-life balance that I touched upon? So we need to make the best of people and not just the best of technology. So that's where you know, these three aspects of leadership, you know, coaching, connecting, and caring, three C's, are going to play a very important role and we have tried to highlight you know, through our 21 jobs report as well.
2: I think that um, one of the things that's interesting for me is that um, the mother of management theory, who's my kind of hero, I'd invite her to my dinner parties if she was still here, is Mary Parker Follett. And Mary Parker Follett was working in the 1920s, so almost a century ago. And she originated the, the concept of power with, rather than power over. And she identified this idea of community learning and organizations and uh, to move away from what was happening at the same time, which was uh, Henry Ford and the development of a kind of you know, automated production line. So I think that this is ages old and if you um, map this to the idea that of what millennials want i think it's what people want and if you look at the if the record levels of disengagement in organizations currently it's really important that we don't talk as if leadership in the recent past or even now is working because it's not and one of the things that 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 i get in the coaching room is leaders saying some of them are saying i had to give up my dreams i had to leave myself at home why can't they so that's one thing and then the other thing is leaders going yeah how do i how do i start to 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 let go um but the 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 real the real challenge here is that um it is this inside thing it is about how we different from machines and I, I mean what we have in common with the machines that are learning is they're built from the inside we start with the code and that's us we have a code too and we are hardwired for communication and connection and belonging and um amy you talked about belonging and i think the, the big um uh, dynamic with organizations is it's all about fitting in and we've got to shift from fitting in to belonging and what does that mean and then help people to make this connection and the other thing that's important is i'm really keen that we don't say to leaders you need to understand these people you need to understand millennials the first place that leaders need to start with is understanding themselves because if we can't see ourselves we're not going to see other people so first thing is don't do it to other people do it to yourself, and that's the muscle. If it isn't muscle, it's not a muscle um, that needs activating, which is reflection, and that means giving people time to reflect. And I'd really like to see it made compulsory that people have compulsory reflections in organisations. Love
1: it. I could I,
4: I could, that's I a could really go
2: on. <laughs> Love
1: it.
4: I, I, you know, that's a really really interesting comment because we find that. There are sort of three pillars to redesign organizations that that are are future fit and purpose. We've all sort of talked about purpose um, as being really important, not just for millennials, but I think that for anybody that has achieved a certain level of consciousness becomes focused on purpose and legacy. Uh, and we have more highly educated people in the workplace than we've ever had before. And the second pillar um, we think of as empathetic culture. And the third is designing the space to allow those two things to flourish. But the, the one thing that I'd like to touch on within empathetic uh, culture is the issue of failure, um, which, Moria I think you've touched on about how leaders who are out there at the moment, who generally are largely uh, middle-aged, perhaps my age, uh, are are really struggling with the idea of, you know, I'm a self-managed leader. I'm self-taught. I didn't have a coach. Nobody helped me. You know, why can't they just get on with it type of attitude is you're starting with having to uh, try to shift that mindset into a new mindset for the future. And one of the most important Things that I find when you're starting out on that awareness journey with a leader is getting around the idea of normalizing failure, um, because most uh, dare I say it, middle-aged leaders were brought up in a business culture in business schools of having to be right. And as a consultant all my life, I used to be very highly paid to be right, to come up with the right solution to <laughs> organisational problem. Um, but today, you know, you don't want to be right. What you want to do is facilitate the emergence of the collaborative and collective intelligence inside your organization, which is the thing that activates uh, imagination and creativity. And one of the key things that you can do to help that is normalizing, normalizing failure. Um, and, and that is about putting in practices, um, daily practices, that uh, encourage a culture of learning and sharing of learning opportunities. So for example, in some of the uh, self-managed organizations I support and work with, you'll have uh, weekly circles where everybody who clearly has documented all of their weaknesses and their learning opportunities will come and share on a weekly basis um, some, uh, a problem that they have had to confront They'll talk about it, it'll be filmed, and it'll go on to a database where anybody in the organization can have a look at how that particular person confronted a particular challenge or weakness, and how they've learned and how they've solved it. And I think if you can actually normalize the fact that all of us make mistakes and all of us fail, um, particularly with leaders, um, so that they don't have to come from a position of having to be right and having to know and having to be expert, and I think we'll come onto the subject of expert soon. Um, that's one tiny shit step in shifting a, a, a culture and the role of the leader.
0: Absolutely love where the conversation is going, hearing from anything from the rise of the machine and how do we collaborate together with machines, and essentially do it in a much more clever way. Um, to talking about what is our own code when it comes to being very hardwired to have that sense of belonging. And then lastly, really, really love the focus on being able to fail and learn from it. And on that final point, when I think about the, I believe you mentioned it so beautifully, Moira, it should be mandatory to reflect. It really reminds me of the 70-20-10 model, which is essentially a very old learning learning and development model, where 70% of all the experience is gained on the job, 20% is through reflection and conversations with mentors or coaches, and only 10% and 10% only mbas e-learnings massive open online courses and so on so i think that that really um touched upon all of it for me and in terms of the the future of the leaders so the next area i wanted to explore is around so if we are going towards much more flatter organizations organizations that much that are much more lean and at the same time also the 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 need to have local expertise does that then mean, therefore, that local talent is becoming more and more valuable as opposed to international talent? I wonder what the thoughts are on the panel on this.
1: I, I'm happy to to, to jump in um, being the perhaps the, the TA person or talent acquisition person. Um I from a from a diversity and inclusion point of view you know it it, is very intentional at the moment at at linkedin that we are we are looking at our local talent and and definitely trying to to bring in that that to your point the local expertise um and and perhaps sort of those relationships that are held at at a local level but more and more we are finding i think coming back to your point too around the the flatter structures like the need to to collaborate um the the cultural intelligence um you know we you know emotional intelligence and then i think you know cultural intelligence like that is something that we are really looking to assess more and more um in our leaders and also in in the people that we're bringing into organizations because a lot of the the times where you're working on projects like it's like this right you know it's virtual and you've got people all over um all over, over the world and to have that understanding of Know, how you can work effectively cross-functionally adapting your working style and, and communicating sensitively and, and understanding the nuances like that that is something that you do need experience um, whether that be regionally or, or internationally to try and gather so it's balancing definitely the, the need for, for local experience but also looking for those people that have had experiences even if it's not necessarily working out of their country but at least working with people um, in other countries cross-functionally on on different teams to really build that um, that awareness because I feel like that is where we're definitely definitely moving more towards um, and I think you know, emotional intelligence is something we've been talking about for quite some time um, and now also that cultural intelligence and mm-hmm. awareness is super important um, for, for us and I'm sure for many organizations when we're thinking about leaders so I sort of I feel like where the expertise might the local expertise is is super important being able to have that um, global outlook and um, regional awareness you need to balance it because I think just having the
2: local expertise is not enough for, for me uh, sorry. um for me I, I I want to pick up on that cultural intelligence piece it it's linked with this Flatter organisation that we're going to get. This idea that just because we are um, a certain age or we've been to certain places, we are automatically better than or um, than others. So I think the younger generation—God I sound old—the younger generation um, are used to communicating across borders. They're online with people all over the place. They're getting their cultural influences through the web all all over. So they probably had more exposure at a younger age to difference than um, those oldies like myself who had to go and physically travel to those places. So I see it as connected, this idea that age um, is becoming less important and that it must be driven by people's experience and respect for difference. And that's, of course, challenging because we are sort of, again, hardwired for the familiar. And so, you know, what does that look like in a management structure? But I see them as connected, respecting the expertise that's on the ground and understanding that even if they've never traveled, they may know an awful lot more than we do.
3: Hmm. Sure. Right, yeah. I'm actually, you know, just to chip in, right, I'm actually working on very interesting report, uh, you know, the future of learning, the art of skilling and reskilling for the human machine you know, work. Obviously, as we all know, you know the future workforce is going to be augmented. So, and there is so much of you know talk today that we really need to double down on human-centric skills, the soft skills aspect. Uh, so, definitely, you know these skills are going to be important in the future, no doubt about it. Uh, but just by doubling down on communication skill will not ensure effective communication with machines. So, we need to learn, you know, to work interconnectedly, you know, and think in terms of systems, tools, and processes that will be required. To make the best use of, uh, you know, machine-driven insights and capabilities, so that's where I think uh, learning has to uh, move beyond L and D department or HR responsibility, which I believe is the fundamental issue right now. Learning has to become the boardroom agenda. It has to be a CEO, you know, mandate because learning is going to be critical if we are not preparing our workforce to reskill on uh, the human-machine work. Uh, obviously, it's going to be difficult, uh, you know, to manage the talent, whether locally or you know globally. So, to me, I think uh, you know, from a leadership standpoint, to creating that culture of learning within the organization, so that uh, you know people are more focused on continuous or lifelong, you know, learning kind of things. Uh, these things are going to be you know much more important, and that's where leaders need to play a very, very uh, you know, active role in preparing the workforce of the future.
0: Thank you, Manish, and, and I have a follow-up question on that. In saying that, um, looking at the world holistically, are you seeing any differences in the different regions across the world?
3: Right. So I don't think that there are going to be, you know, significant, uh, you know, differences, right, because uh, humans are humans, whether you are in the US or in India. Right. So human behavior is going to be, you know, uh, consistent uh, across geographies. It's just that, you know, I think it's going to be, you know, more of more and more leaders responsibility to create that, uh, you know, culture of learning. And uh, it it shouldn't be an L&D or HR responsibility, frankly speaking, because we have, uh, you know, gone beyond that age where you're going to provide some training material, you know, some training programs based on the current skill set, you know, or the demands that are there in the market and you'll be fine. Now we have to look at the lifelong, the continuous learning aspect to work effectively, you know, with with machines and that's where The entire learning approaches, you know, and also there is a complete disconnect between educational institutions and uh, You know, uh, companies right when it comes to learning because what educational institutions are teaching and what companies demand. There's a complete disconnect what we are finding. So definitely, I think leaders need to step up and maybe collaborate more effectively with educational institutions, uh, you know, create that uh, culture of learning and, uh, you know, provide the platform and uh, build that trust level, you know, with people so that people are more comfortable, they're more confident about, uh, you know, the lifelong learning, the continuous learning, you know, kind of concepts.
0: So in summary, always be learning, which is music to my ears as someone who would identify with having a growth mindset. Um, Thank you, Manish. Wanting to shift the conversation towards um, something that's very, very recent that's come about. So, there's a lady in the UK, her name is Amanda Goodhall, and she's a lecturer at Cass Business School in London. And recently, Adam Grant, who's an author, I think most recently he's written Option B together with Cheryl Sandberg, has a very, very familiar podcast. And the research was centered around the view that if an expert were to become a leader, they would make a far greater leader than a generalist. And the examples that surfaced were around surgeons who were running hospitals, researchers who were running universities, or the best basketball player then later on going on to become the coach. I wondered what the thoughts are around, um, from our panel on this very, very subject.
4: I must say, you know, I think one of the, and I think Manish mentioned it, one of the key qualities, um, you know, we researched about 300 um, top business leaders over the last couple of years about qualities that they wanted future leaders to have and systems thinking, comes very very close to the top um, and natural born systems thinkers of course it's something that you can learn tend to be uh, real generalists um, uh, I, I don't know if anybody has read a book by a gentleman called Kenneth Mickelson called the neo-generalist um, and no. I think there is a new role emerging for leaders which is it is very neo-generalist um, that is able to join dots from disparate uh, spheres and departments and uh, divisions of learning to be able to see a much bigger picture in a very very complex world to understand complexity that I think is very important in leadership although I can see the, the, the argument for experts leading organizations as also having positives but if we take the sport analogy as somebody who's been quite sporty all her life I can certainly say that my top uh, cross-country riding trainers were not people who'd ever succeeded at the top of the sport Mm -hmm. they had different qualities when it came to leading teaching and imparting knowledge Um, I'm not sure that that's 100% applicable in the world of business but but I do think that leadership has more complex qualities than purely being an expert
2: yeah i want to build on that jenny because i think that in my in my sort of knowledge of sport the top sports people very rarely progress to coaching um it's often the middle it's it's the people that 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 were lower down they've got some knowledge but they haven't got everything and in the coaching room one of the biggest traps is what i call the promotion precipice so sort of people narrow their focus and they get to here And then at this point, when they get real life people to manage and normally don't get any help doing so, it kind of opens up. And so that sort of climbing the cliff thing, it's kind of now upwards and outwards, and they need to start doing things differently. And their biggest trap is the content. And they tend to want to climb down back to that place that they felt safe on. Often the reason they got promoted in the first place. I know organizations say they promote for potential, that they normally promote because someone was really good at what they did. And, um, and that piece of content can often trap them into micromanaging and to get involved at a level and a telling, I'm good at this, do it like this. Um, and I find that at all ages. Uh, I mean, I find this with, with millennials too, when they get when they get people to manage, they still wanna hold on to some of that content piece.
3: Right. So whether it's journalist, you know, the way we look at it, you know, whether it's journalist or expert, right? If you can't connect with people, uh, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, who you are. At the end of the day, right? You really need to connect with people. In fact, there's one very interesting book, you know, named uh, "Sense Making." Uh, you know, the power of the humanities in the age of algorithms. So this book, you know, written by Christian Masberg, who's the CEO of Red Associates, uh, you know, one of our partners. Uh, So, so, so what, you know, what he has tried to highlight is, you know, that leaders are losing touch with the humanity of their customers. Uh, And, uh, you know, that's where he has, you know, tried to argue. There's this this point that, uh, you know, successful leaders are not going to be, you know, following purely data driven, you know, instructions, what the Excel sheet is saying, you know, what the data is saying, but rather they are going to understand, you know, they're going to have an engagement with the culture, with language, with history. So he calls uh, you know this method as sense making, and that's where leaders are losing the connect with uh, you know customers on the ground, with employees on the ground, and uh, you know that's where re- they really need to you know work on this engagement piece, this connection piece, which is going to be you know critical. So that's that's very interesting book. I recommend uh, you know uh, it's, it's, it's a good read. Definitely, it's going to give you some food for thought.
1: Yeah, I I agree um, with with. A lot of the points just made. You know, when I listened to that that podcast, um, you know, I thought it was interesting. The 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 job that Amanda had spoken with her research were quite kind of technical. Like, yeah, I, as if I'm a doctor, I probably would like a doctor to be my manager. To be honest, um, you know. But when I when I sort of was bringing it back to to perhaps business context, I, I genuinely think it does come back to empathy and you mm. want a boss to understand like your role but you don't necessarily need your boss to have done your role um mm. and i think that you know empathy connection piece is, is for me what's kind of underpinning um perhaps those those leaders um being um being better as, as part of that research mm.
0: And I have to say, after I picked up on that piece, um, and I, I guess the reason Adam put it out in the way that he had, it was because it would lure people in. Because yeah. typically I tend to agree, but then it really lured me in to, to read and listen to the podcast. Mm-hmm. So if you are interested, it's a 20-minute podcast uh, recently done. On, on HBR, very, very, very interesting. So in, in the last sort of 18 minutes that we have together today, wanting to turn our focus and talk about some of the, where do you get your inspiration from when it comes to books and podcasts on the subject of leadership, leadership development, and the subject of the future of work and the next stage of leadership would be very interested to hear. We've heard some of the, some items already that were mentioned, but I wondered if there were any others that you would add to the conversation.
1: Um, I love the podcast Freakonomics Radio, and they did a really interesting five-part um, podcast series on leaders. Um, recently and interviewed a, a really wide ranging um, group of, of leaders in different industries those are still currently CEO um, and and those that aren't just around the what does the CEO do you know what makes successful CEO what do they do afterwards that for me was really interesting um, and I do really like Adam Grant's work like um, podcast you know for me it's creating conversations like you don't have to agree but it gets you thinking um which um which is always um always cool and the you mentioned sue option b um resilience book that adam wrote with cheryl sandberg they've done um a i think it's only about 35 minutes um adam and cheryl sandberg have done an e-learning course on building resilience it's super short um and really tangible but one that i i sort of listened to and, and took a couple of um, really key points away from like I love those kind of short learning courses that you can do in the morning And I took a lot of inspiration from that
0: Thanks very much Amy and Jenny just pinged me her recommendation Which would be so There's two here or actually quite a few the culture map by Erin Meyer It's on my list to read I've heard very great things about it designing regenerative cultures by Daniel Wall. And then lastly, Reinventing Organizations by Frederick Laloux. I'll make sure that I share all of these with Mara so you'll have all of these available within the next 24 hours after the conversation. But thanks for sharing,
2: um, Jenny. Moira, were there any that you would want to recommend? Yes, I'm taking it from the personal again. I think um, there's a book called Resonant Resonant Leadership, which is Boyatzis and McKee, which is um, really about emotional intelligence, about, uh, it's a workbook actually. So there's the research from Daniel Goleman and um, Annie McKee, and um, it it talks you, it works people through, what does it take to lead from the inside out? So that's, that's one thing. Then there's a great podcast by a guy called Chris McAllister. He is a former leader and he's and he start, he's, he's also been successful with startups. And he does a great podcast. I think it's called Insight Shift. Um, and go back, to, start at the beginning. He takes people through as he does as a coach from the inside out. And I just love his stuff. I love the way he talks. Very similar territory to Brene Brown. So a lot about vulnerability, a lot about empathy, a lot about how your strength in revealing who you are, not in hiding who you are. So um, those, and then, of course, Margaret Heffernan on TED Talks, um, successful former CEO. She is great on conflict and on um, dealing with difficult conversations. Those are my three. Thanks
0: very much, Moira. Manish, I know that you've met. Oh, sorry,
4: Jenny. Sorry, I think there's one more I'd like to add, if I could sneak another one in. Um, which of course is a you A recent book by Margaret Wheatley called Who Do You Choose To Be? Um, and Margaret's been a change agent for many decades, and I recently heard her speak at a meeting conference in uh, Brighton, and it was in many ways quite a depressing talk in that she had given up on the idea of positive change with global organizations and was looking more in terms of leadership at us creating islands of sanity in small localized pockets ourselves. And I think it's a great book to read with a very different perspective on where we go in terms of personal leadership in the
1: future.
0: Thanks very much, uh, Jenny. Uh, I know Mara is uh, making sure that we're putting all these together so we have a repository that we can look at afterwards. Manish, I know you've mentioned a few already and I've been jotting down here. Were there any others, uh, podcasts or books that you would suggest?
3: Yeah, definitely. I would suggest uh, you know one more book, which is What to Do When Machines Do Everything. And uh, it's written by the Center for the Future of Work. You know, It's not just that I'm trying to promote our own book <laughs> through this platform, <laughs> but definitely it's a, it's, a, it's a very interesting read, you know, because that is the most important question today, what to do when machines do everything. So this book is more of a field guide for uh, you know, leaders to figure out uh, you know, how the future of work is going to shape and what all things that they really need to do to make sure that they and their organizations are successful in this uh, you know new machine age so what to do when machines do everything it's available on amazon and i definitely recommend it it's, it's going to be you know very interesting read uh, you know for, for everyone
0: and listening to, to Manesh and then the conversation today around, so in this next generation of leadership, what we're expecting is a lot of it centered around human connection, a lot of it centered around empathy and so on. So to that end, the book that I would suggest is The Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday which is very much around understanding oneself and recognizing as and when your, your ego is cropping up. Now, it's not a thing, a possibility to get rid of our ego and nor should we try to. However, being aware of it and connecting that back to that reflection piece that Moira talked about, we can then start to understand what was the part that we played in that particular thing. Oh, and, and Nick has just joined us here, has uh, is showing the book live. Nick, thank you very much uh, for joining us in, uh, in today's panel. You are currently on mute, but we'd love to bring you into the conversation conversation to see uh, to get you to ask your question
5: thanks guys yeah I'm not sure uh, what I can add but maybe one question I have is as we're seeing more of a challenge being given to employees to start to manage their self and the way they act and the way they respond to this future of work and organizations how as a leader do you balance that that dichotomy of freeing them up to manage themselves yet managing
3: them to do it? Yeah, so maybe I'm I can- I'm not sure if anyone has any
5: tips on that, but- Good
3: question. Oh, that's an interesting one, right, Nick. Hi, this Manish. So uh, the way we are looking at it, right, so definitely I believe in the future, Uh, you know, lots of repetitive, monotonous work will be taken over by machines. What's the fun of doing, uh, you know, something which is boring, which you do every day and there is no fun in doing it. So those sort of tasks are going to be taken over by machines. It doesn't mean that, uh, you know, I as a leader is going to reduce my workforce, you know, we'll start firing people. But rather, I'm giving an opportunity to my people uh, by freeing them up so that they can learn new things. Uh, They can double down on human centric skills. Their leadership, you know, skills, their people management skills, communication, you know, sales, and all that, and also, right? They can, you know, learn new areas through which they are going to collaborate more effectively with machines in the future. So by freeing up, uh, you know, our own people. Uh, you know, uh, so that machines can take over the repetitive task, we are giving people an opportunity to learn new things. But yes, obviously a lot of things will come from people itself, you know, whether they really want to move up the learning curve or not, whether they are interested in doing new things, and that's where leaders really need to encourage, you know, people. Uh, you know, for for uh, new areas of development, for, for you know, new skills, for new thinking, and all that. So that's how we look at it. You know, by uh, by giving all the repetitive and monotonous work to machines, we are uh, giving a great opportunity. You know, to people to double down on human centric skills.
2: Nick, hi. <laughs> um, I I would say that I would start with a manager. <laughs> You know, that person's wrestling with that dilemma aren 't they how what what does it feel what what does control or being in control feel like so I would always start with them about what does that mean because I think there's a confusion between being in control and controlling and that fear of letting go so i wouldn't i wouldn't start with the i wouldn't start with the with the other I would start with the manager to start to explore what does that mean to him or her. And where have they learned that idea? And of course, it does go back to our family of origin normally and our notion of power and fitting in. But it would be, what does it mean to know? And what does it mean to not know? To be able to sit with the not knowing, that ambiguity piece, when certainty is the thing that they're supposed to have. And now machines can be certain and humans have to be you know, comfortable with ambiguity. So it's working from the inside again, right? You know, and, um, and encouraging them to start to sit with not knowing and coaching helps because coaching is the art of sitting with not knowing and asking a question that they don't know the answer to. And so I say to them, when was the last time you asked a question that you didn't know the answer to? And then they send them off to go and challenge them in that week you know, what do you not know the answer to? Go and, you know, start asking things like that. And that gets them a bit more comfortable with the self-management piece.
4: I think Nick, if I could add something into uh, what Maury has just said, it's also um, really helpful for uh, people if you can actually design the shape and the container in which they can flourish. And that can sometimes be a complex piece of work. So if you are looking at an organisation, you want to be able to know precisely all of the processes that you have to do in order to be, let's say, in a regulated environment compliant. And when you know all of the things that your team or your group or your department absolutely has to do, and how they have to do them, then you can clearly see where the space for creativity and autonomy is. So that, if, if teens know exactly within their responsibilities precisely what they have to do, then you can allow them to explore their creativity and autonomy because you've taken away the concern that they might... Um, uh, uh, inadvertently do something wrong or, or put the organization into risk in any way so I think um, that design piece how you design a team how you design the shape of an organization is also very important
1: I agree um, you know at LinkedIn one of our core values is take intelligent risks and you know we have definitely a you know a culture of, of what we call transformation and Again, you're being a millennial organization, everyone wants to transform every day, right? So we've had to put a bit of a framework around what that looks like. Uh, You know, the different stages of transformation, getting to when you're really mastering your role, and and then also a framework around taking intelligent risks. Um, and, And with that, you know, is encouraging failure, which we spoke about before, but actually really helping to better define that intelligent piece. Um, to give people again that, that framework to try things and fail um, and still sort of, you know, knowing what they need to do from a core perspective so they're still nailing their core but, but giving them that sort of flexibility and freedom to try stuff outside of. And I do think a lot of that does come back to the manager really understanding what that core purpose of that individual is and, you know, when they understand what that individual is driven by and, and what their, you know, what their kind of their why is or their purpose, then I think that also helps, hopefully, um, to manage to have those coaching conversations to, to help them to they're sort of, you know, floundering a bit, bringing it back to, you know, this is this is your why, this is why you do what you do, and then and sort of coaching them um, that way. Like, I've found that that has been certainly helpful for me um, and I manage a lot of people remotely, so you're not always there day-to-day seeing, um, seeing the doing. And that's, that's definitely... Um, we just actually went through an exercise a couple of weeks ago with Simon Sinek, um, finding a why um, as, a, as a leadership team, which was super, um, super interesting. And bringing that back to, to my team um, and helping them sort of navigate uh, through, thinking through their, their own transformation and, and trying and failing has been super helpful.
0: Thank you. And I'm very conscious of time. I feel like the conversation only just got going. However, we're going to have to bring it to a closure. And what I would love to do in order for us to bring it to closure today, is to run through some of the leaders that you find very inspiring and why you believe that they will remain relevant in the future. And I'd love to start with yourself, Amy. Ah, oh, I was
1: gonna say, go for me last, because... <laughs> We can do that too.
0: Um,
1: you know, and, and then, you know who first, when you mentioned that earlier, the first person that came into my head, and this might seem a bit non traditional, is Michelle Obama. And you know, I know that she might not be a leader in a traditional sense, but I feel like she's a leader of her own life. And I respect the, the, um, the, the, chief built her own persona. And, and she's done that individually and collectively and, and she is someone who, who you don't know but you know what they stand for and when we think about leadership, I, like I feel like that people want to work for people that they understand what drives them um, and you want to be led by a vision um, that you can get behind, you know, not being led by authority. And, and that's something that I've always uh, admired about Michelle Obama, so that's why she, she popped into my head first.
0: Thank you, Amy. Uh, we'll move on to Jenny next. Jenny, you are on mute if you're uh, trying oh, to... Sorry.
4: <laughs> sorry. You're, I'm you're, that's okay. Uh, I. I would like to say uh, Mike Barry, who is head of Plan A at Marks & Spencer in the United Kingdom. Um, And there are a couple of reasons why I I like him. He's uh, obviously head of sustainability. Um, We were lucky enough to share a stage a couple of years ago. He said something to me that I thought was really interesting, that the future leaders of organisations would come from HR and sustainability departments because they were the people best placed to understand the two key issues that we face, people and planet. And I've spent a lot of time thinking about that, but I cite Mike because he is one, without a shadow of a doubt, of the most emotionally intelligent people I have ever come across because over the 10 year period that Plan A has been in place, he has completely understood all of the different levels of consciousness inside the organization, in different teams, uh, people's characters, their personalities, their uh, um, uh, attitude to change, and he has been able to stage that communication program of introducing Plan A absolutely accurately, understanding the people in the organization and how far they could go, how much information they needed at any stage of that journey, whilst keeping his vision very, very clear. And I think that is a remarkable skill and the talent in the leader. So he'd be my topic.
0: Thank you, Jenny. Manish?
3: Yeah, for me, uh, you know, it's, it's Steve Jobs, because if you look at, you know, he actually blended technology with the imagination. Uh, who had ever thought that computers are going to be beautiful? but he really made us realize that yes technology can be beautiful so definitely he valued creativity you know over intelligence uh, so so for me you know it's a steve jobs you know it's it's uh, you know the way he worked and uh, the way he uh, you know made uh, apple successful uh, so definitely a lot a lot to learn from you know what uh, steve jobs did uh, you know uh, uh, during his tenure with uh, with apple
4: Thank
0: you, Manish. And Myra promised she had two words for us, two final Uh, words.
2: Yeah, my clients. (laughs) They, they, they They come, they ask for help, they're vulnerable, they want to learn, they're not perfect. So given that it's a contract that people sign every day, I would have to say them.
0: And Nick, is there anyone from you, from your perspective?
5: Yeah, hey, down here in New Zealand, I'd probably look at Joshua Vial, who's leading up Inspiral, a collection of, um, well, a cohort of self-managing individuals running a myriad of different campaigns and movements here in New Zealand, um, and probably Ricardo Semler, um from Brazil, who's also been chief in looking at that uh, self-managing movement and. Flatless, you know, structureless organizations. They're really interesting.
0: Thank you, Nick, and also Amy, Jenny, Manish, and Moira for joining us today. I've really enjoyed the conversation and some of the key takeaways. How do we learn to collaborate with machines while being mindful of the fact of what our own code is, which is a sense of belonging? Always be learning. There's got to be a place for reflection and failure. And in the context of the world of business, we're not absolutely certain that we agree with the statement that experts make for better leaders. Um, so you've joined the next generation of leadership, which is today's conversation powered by Connectel. Thanks very much for joining us. For more, please visit connectel.com, Www connectal.com and within the next 24 hours look out on the website for a repository of all the books and podcasts that we reference to all of the panelists and also our listeners today thank you very much for joining and you're more than welcome to stay online to hang out and have further conversations